0: May God bless the reading of His Word, and let's pray one more time. Father, we are indeed grateful for Your words spoken to us, eternal words, not not just uh, old words, but eternal, having the ability, because this is God's Word, breathed infallible, perfect words, Lord, to speak to us in 2019, to speak to people over 2,000 years ago, to speak to people in the 1800s, and, and in the future, Lord, thank You for Your Word, Your love letter written to us, Lord. And as we gather around it today and study it and are encouraged by it, Father, we just pray you'd speak to each of us, myself included. Pray that you'd help me, Father, uh, communicate your truths. And as you're there in your seat, I just want to encourage you to have a conversation with God right where you are. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I, I invite you to talk to God right there in your seat. And maybe you just want to have a little prayer like this in the quietness of your heart. Maybe you want to say something like this. Lord, speak to me today. Just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, speak to me today. And then maybe you want to say something like this, for I intend to obey. For I intend to obey. Father, we need you today and every day. Thank you, God, that you are the source of love. Thank you, God, that things on this earth will fail us, Lord. But your love is the one thing that remains constant in the trial, constant in the change, Lord. Your love has never left us. Thank you for that, Jesus. We praise you for that today, mightily. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right. So we are in this series on Thessalonians, and the title of today's message is Loving Quietly. Loving Quietly. Or, if you like last week's title, you could call it Holiness is Hot, Part 2. So I'm just throwing that out there for some of you. and hopefully it gave you something to talk about. I hope you said to your spouse this week or somebody else in your life, you know, you are really holy. I just wanted to encourage y'all to keep saying that throughout these weeks because holiness is hot. But as we talked about it last week, this is really what, what Paul does in this letter to the Thessalonians is the end of chapter 3, he, he prays for these two things and then he spends chapter 4 talking about each of these two things. He talks about holiness. So we talked about last chapter. And then now this week he's going to talk about love. And he's going to kind of highlight these main things for the Thessalonians. These are some big picture things that you need to make sure you're doing if you are calling yourself a believer. He's saying to this young church plant, right? Just a, just a few months old, there's a lot of new believers in this church. All come to faith here in this uh, place called Thessalonica. It's a town there in uh, what we would now call Greece. And, um, and this is the first time uh, there's a couple churches that Paul started here. One, in Philippi and also Berea. And this is the first time the gospel has come to the continent of Europe. And so, uh, man, the brand new believers here, and he is encouraging them in this new church plant, new to the faith. And um, and so I have a question for you that I think maybe these people were wondering. I think that Paul gets that, and certainly Jesus talks about. The question is this. What makes a person great? Ever thought about that? What makes a person great? Do, do you have to be Famous, to be great. Do 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 you have to be uh, well known or popular to be great? Do you have to be big and important in order to be great? Because we use that term a lot, right? And we tend to think this way: Oh, there's Pastor. He's got a. He's on the stage. He's got a microphone. He he must be great. And uh and if you live with me, you know that's not always true. And um, what does it mean for a person to be great? If, If we talk about uh, greatness and all sorts of there are songs that talk about I'm the greatest here tonight and, and artists and movies and 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 even uh, uh, the the political co- campaign. If if we want to make uh, America great or keep America great, I guess it would be the, the the new political campaign. What is the definition of greatness? And and if another country wanted to be great, if Bangladesh wanted to be great, how would they know that they're great? If if Iran wanted to be great, if Turkmenistan wanted to be great, if um, Cambodia and Laos wanted to be great. If Nigeria and Kenya uh, wanted to be great, if Brazil and, and Mexico and Bolivia wanted to be great, what, what would be the definite? What would be the mark, right? To say that's a great nation. What would be the mark to say you're a great person? Well, I believe God has some instructions for us, and we find it a lot here is interesting. I came across a story this week, and because uh, I've wondered this question a lot, and I think I still wrestle with it. But I was, I've been challenged. God has challenged me because in case you didn't know this, um, I like to talk. Um, maybe you notice that. Um, but but I, I've wrestled with this. Like, you know, in order to be great, you, you have to get noticed or you have to uh, be important in, in some uh, strange system that the world has set up in your school, uh, on your sports team or uh, in, in your area of work. And, and and you have to fit these molds in order to be great. But God, who made us, right, he has a little different strategy, doesn't he? I wonder if you know that today. But I came across this article about a lady named Marian Anderson. I don't know if you've heard of her. I think we have a picture. We've got a picture of that, David, uh, this lady, Marian Anderson. And um, she uh, was a famous classical singer. Um, I mean, world-renowned back in the early 1900s. Uh, but many have labeled her um, as such a humble and modest person. In fact, uh, a, a recent article by NPR said Marian Anderson was the most modest trailblazer. It's kind of an interesting statement, a modest trailblazer. And, uh, but she had this amazing um, classical voice. And the famous concert and presser, he was Russian, Saul Hurac, liked to say that Marian Anderson hadn't simply grown great. Watch this, though. But she had grown great simply. I'm gonna give you a few seconds to catch that, right? You still with me? She hadn't simply grown great. She had grown great simply by being a humble person, by being a person who loves others, by seeking justice, by being a quiet, gentle spirit. So he says, a few years ago, a reporter interviewed Marion and asked her to name the greatest moment in her life. And I was in her dressing room at the time before the concert. And I was curious to hear what Marion would say. I knew she had many big moments to choose from. There was the night in Tuscany when, uh, uh, excuse me, when Tuscany, the, the, the famous Italian composer, told her that hers was the finest voice that had come to the world in over a century. That's a pretty big compliment, the finest voice in over a century. Then there was the private concert she gave at the White House to the Roosevelts, also the private concert to uh, to the King and the Queen of England. She had received uh, over a $10,000 Bach award as the person who had done the most for her hometown, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To top it all, there was Easter Sunday in Washington, D.C. when she stood beneath the Lincoln statue and sang for a crowd of over 75,000 which included many cabinet members, Supreme Court justices, most of the members of Congress. Which of those big moments did she choose? None of them. Ms. Anderson told the reporter that the greatest moment in her life was when she came home and told her mother that she wouldn't have to take in the washing anymore. And if you don't know what take in the washing is that that was a term for many people who needed extra money as they would wash rich people's clothes for them. And this was something she was doing to help support her family. She just kept such a modest and humble lifestyle. I think in a way that really illustrates what Paul is talking about here is is loving people simply, loving people quietly. Because Jesus told us the greatest among you will be a servant. And Jesus had a way of kind of changing and flipping what we put in our world as greatness. Jesus had a way of telling us what true greatness really is. And so let's look back at the text here. I got a couple points for you and, and, and we can write those down. But how, how does a person become great? Point number one is, is you can write this. What is a great person? A great person, right? Someone who is great continues to grow in love for others. Is that the mark of greatness our world would put on other people? We say, who's great at work? Who's great at the church? Who's great on my team? Who's great in the classroom? Is it a person that continues to grow in love? Or is it the person who has the highest skills, the highest IQ, or the best-looking outfit? See, the Bible would say a great person is someone who who loves well and then continues to grow in love. So a great person continues to grow in love for others. Look look back at the text here. Just simple, succinct verses. I love it. I'm so encouraged by it. Verse 9, he says this, Now concerning brotherly love, brotherly love, right? You have no need for anyone to write to you. What does he mean by that? This church is doing good at loving people. You guys are, man, y'all are some great lovers. You love people well. Go, go church. You don't have any, I, I don't even know what to write to you. Except, except for this, right? Notice what he says as he continues. about Brother David, no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by who? Oh, see, you've been taught by God to love one another. See, that's what happens when people become a Christian. When someone becomes a Christian, they don't always need a preacher to tell them what to do. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and you're reading the Word, and, and God changes you. And all of a sudden, you start, you've got this weird feeling We you used to want to get angry at the people at work. All of a sudden, that anger is, is dropped down a notch. When, when you're in traffic, and, um, and you want to wave at people with, with one finger, and yell at them, and honk at them, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life. One lady at church told me, she said, when people wave at me with one finger, Pastor, I just think they're telling me I'm number one. So I just I just say, Well, praise the Lord, and telling me I'm number one. And uh <laughs> that's a great way to view it. You know, I mean, love. They're they're loving one another because they have been taught by God. God has taught them, they have spent time with him and he has transformed them. It was the famous Bible teacher Warren Wearsby. His insight about the new nature that a believer gets. Because you need to know that being a Christian is is not just a a do-good list. Christian means I've been made new. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. And so he says this. He says, fish do not attend classes to learn how to swim. Right? And birds, by nature, put out their wings and flap them in order to fly. They don't have to attend classes. A school, in order to do that, it is the nature of something that determines its action. Did you just catch that? It's its nature that determines its action. And because a Christian has God's nature, he loves. Why? Because God is love. And so Christians are to be people who are filled to the brim with love for all people, for others. So he says about brotherly love, we don't have, any really, we don't have anything to really encourage you with. You guys are killing it. You guys are doing a great job. But how many of you know we all have room to grow, right? And so that's what he says. He says, you've been taught by God to love one another. And then verse 10, so he says this, for indeed, that is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Now, this is kind of interesting here, right? Because he's, he's saying, man. You guys have been a blessing to the other churches in that area of Macedonia. Again, there was a church in Philippi that was started before there's the church in Berea. And um, and he says, man, something about this church in Thessalonica, you guys are blessing other churches. How many of you know Christians? There's just not one church, right? Man, the, God's body, we're we're one church in many different local places. And so, man, I hope you love other people from other churches, right? And I, and, I, and and man, that's why we love to work with other churches. We love to connect with other churches. And uh, man, I love working with the folks over at OV. Love love helping start the Journey Church and now Little Creek Church. And uh, man, praise God that Red Church moved in next door and bought a building that 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 the Presbyterian Church had died in. And praise God that um Tabernacle Prayer with uh, Doctor Minnie B Washington was was there. In fact, they're still there, running it out. And uh, man, we just love to see. Other believers moving forward to spread the light of the gospel anywhere in our community. And I hope that you pray and rejoice with other churches. It's not a competition. And uh man, I, I you know, we had some Wednesday night services uh, a few years ago and and uh, man we get together and, and we'll have to maybe plan something just a worship night, to get together with other churches, not to pray for our city, to pray for our community. Just say, man, we're coming together across denominational lines and and we wanna we wanna move forward with the gospel. And, um, and I love how this church had set that model. He said, man, you've been an example. You've been helping other churches. And, uh, man, I hope we always have a desire to help other churches. And I appreciate the ways we've been helped. Uh, I hope you know that we're a church plant. Now, we're, we're a 50-year-old church plant. But it was the folks at South Norfolk Baptist Church, way over there in South Norfolk, that had a vision and bought this property so that we could be here today. And, um, man... They, they paid for this. They they helped build the, the beginnings of the sanctuary. They sent people here. Their preacher came here and preached and then drove back and preached and drove back and, man, it was an awesome thing. And so, man, this, the gospel will continue to spread. May it be that we always as a church, right, not just love our church, but also all the churches. Amen? And so, he says that, man, all the churches in Macedonia have, have benefited. But but here's the, the closing comment, right? But we urge you, and notice he urged them earlier in the chapter, um, but we urge you to do what? To do so more and more. To excel. Man, keep going. Keep going. So you guys, you guys are making an awesome job at loving others, but keep growing in that. Because as long as you're still here on this earth, you've got something to learn, amen? As long as you're here on this earth, you, you still have more to grow in love for others. So he says, man, love other people and grow in that. So can I ask you a question today? Have you grown in your love in the last year? How's that? How's that going for you? The older you get, are you becoming a more loving person? Like that's a good challenge, right? Man, every year of my life, am I more loving than I was last year? That's how you know you're on your way to becoming a great person. Not necessarily the accolades you have on the wall, not whether you've done great in school uh, or whether you you made it to this level in your job and you advanced and got promotion. That doesn't make you great. But God says. When you grow in love towards other people, then that's a great person, right? A love that God teaches us the truth. And so we grow. That's point number one. uh, A person who is great continues to grow. Point number two is this. Point number two is this. Someone who is great works hard and works quietly. Works hard and works quietly. Well, there's some awesome and interesting verses here. Maybe we don't always see this or understand this biblically and understand the power of quiet work and hard work. And in fact, uh, I think we guard against an overwork here and workaholism. There are two things that that Paul guards against here. But someone who is great works hard and, and works quietly. They don't have to be, they don't have to get recognition. Do you have to get recognition every time you serve? Do you have to get recognition every time you give? Then the Bible says you're giving out of an impure heart. You're, you're giving, you're serving your neighbors just so you'll get a pat on the back. And God says, well, that's not the way it is. You need to learn how to work quietly in the background. So he says in verse 11, he says, and to aspire to live, what? Quietly. Aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs. Hey, this is the only time in church, but you can go ahead and tell your neighbor, go ahead and reach over there and tell them, tell them, be quiet, mind your own business. <laughs> Go ahead, it's okay. Be quiet. Mind your own business. You can say, this is what the Bible says. I'm just trying to help you. Live quietly and mind your own affairs. Man. How many of you know that'll really help some of us out? Because some of us like to get into everybody else's affairs. Right? Some of us, let's just be real, we are nosy. We are no o. I've got some kids like that. They they shall remain nameless. They'll shall remain nameless to protect the guilty. Um man, me and me and Victoria are talking about something, and all of a sudden they're on the corner. What'd you say? What'd you say? We're like, this is none of your business. We are this is a, this is the A B conversation. See your way out, right? Just all those little things to learn, right? All in the Kool-Aid. Don't even know the flavor. This is grown folk stuff. You don't need to be like, what'd they say? Who who did what? Just nosy. Just want to be in the know. Mind your own business. And there's something about that, about working hard, about quietly, about sticking to what God has told you to do, and not being so concerned about what everybody else is doing. Right? Verse, verse eleven. He's guarding against. Notice the word there. It says and aspire. Right? Aspire, or or maybe um, it's it's make it your ambition. And so he actually guards against uh, two things here. One, he guards against overworking or workaholism and he also guards against laziness here in these short couple verses but that verse aspire ambitions seems like it's an oxymoron right have an ambition have an ambition have aspire to do what what should I aspire to do be somebody great yeah how by living quietly what that seems like an oxymoron it seems like it's it's different what what's your ambition to live a quiet life? And to glorify God by doing what he wants me to do, by loving others and working quietly. Doesn't matter if I get on a stage. Doesn't matter if anybody ever recognizes me. Doesn't matter if anybody ever knows my name. Like, that's a beautiful song, right? I just want them to know Jesus, right? Doesn't matter about me, but I want them to know Jesus. So he guards against these. Many of us have ambitions, right? A lot of times, though, and in fact, the Bible speaks, it doesn't say ambition is a bad thing, but it tells us to watch out for selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Parents, we have ambitions, right? You know, and that's not a, a bad thing, right? But but a lot of times we have ambitions for our kids to be successful, to be healthy, right? That's not a bad thing. Uh, to do well, to, to find somebody honorable, respectable, and holy and hot to marry. But how many know those ambitions can get twisted, right? And distorted and perverted. Just this week, uh, the actress uh, Felicity Huffman, Went to jail. Why did she go to jail? Because she had a twisted ambition for her kids. And she's got to pay to have her SAT scores bumped up, right? You see all this in the news? Pay to get them into college. Tell them. Tell them, Zeke. Right? We have this ambition that's gotten twisted. And it's it's gone wrong. Kids and teenagers, right? They have ambitions, right? They want to be the greatest singer, doctor, athlete, rapper, hair Dresser, dancer, basketball player, volleyball player, soccer ball player, field hockey player, violinist, celloist. We could go on and on, right? They had these ambitions. So ambition is not wrong, but we have to ask, what is fueling my ambition? Is it selfish or is it godly? Will I be okay if I don't reach that goal? Well, I know that God has a different standard of measuring greatness. Will my self-esteem be okay? Well, I know that I still have an identity and my self-worth. See, because our identity and, and listen, parents especially, we have got to learn how to teach our kids and we've got to teach ourselves that our identity is not in the things we do, not not in how well we succeed at these worldly things, and our academics or at our job. Most people in our world they'll celebrate that. And man, I, I can tell you, uh, my name is Daniel and I'm an addict. I've been addicted to a lot of things. I don't mind telling you that. One of one of them has been uh, success and approval of others. And after I, I, I walked away and, and, and did all kinds of crazy things in my younger years, then, then I, I, I just I switched that idol of the approval of my friends and, and foolish people in the neighborhood and of, of girls. I just switched that approval for getting approval of, of teachers and parents. And so I went from being a bad kid to now I made straight A's. And I, and I had this, and we were talking in our community group. I appreciate our community group so much. Love y'all. And uh, Donnie brought an article for us to read and um, and, he, and in the article uh, was a quote from Rocky. Y'all ever seen Rocky? Okay, good. I was worried that um, y'all were continuing to disobey the Lord um, by not watching these wholesome movies. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but but Rocky, you know, uh, I, I forget the exact quote, but it was like, you know, uh, how, how do how do you know when, when you've made it? And Rocky was like, you know, hey, uh, I will know that when I finally make it, I will know that I'm not just some bum off the street. In other words, why was Rocky fighting so hard? Why was Rocky not giving up? Because he didn't want anyone to think he was a bum. And so he used that to fuel his success. And I can tell you, a lot of us are working so hard, not because we're working for the Lord, because we're working to to impress a parent, maybe even some of us, a parent who has passed away. and, And we're still trying to seek human approval by, I don't want them to think, I was told I was a bum my whole life. And I'm trying to disprove that theory. And that can fuel some ungodly behavior that our world would celebrate. Wow, they're so successful. Wow, they're so good. But it fuels an unhealthy. It becomes an idol. Unless our self-worth comes from Jesus Christ alone, we are putting our trust in other people. And so I know I did that for for many years. I strove for success in athletics and academics. And and any job that I had, I tried to get uh, the the most uh, accolades. And I was hitting all those things throughout college and everywhere I went. And I was getting the plaques and all that sort of stuff. and then. Uh, I started teaching. And how many of you know that teachers have a really hard job? How many know they know they don't give recognition plaques to a whole lot of teachers? And, um, and, man, God just broke me because, you know, you can't control a classroom of 32 kids. You can't control whatever one of them makes on the test. And, uh, and God just began to break me down. And, uh, and then because I hadn't uh, learned all those lessons, I, I went from teaching to ministry. And, and so now, now I try to put my success on how well the people behave that I was ministering to. And then I had a whole group of kids. It wasn't Mandy. Y'all just want to tell them, no, it wasn't Mandy. And um, she was a good one. Um, she was a good one. I mean, there was that one time. We got to talk about that. And um, No, but, but man, I was, I was pouring my life into these kids, and I was putting my identity in them. And then, man, a bunch of them just went crazy. Went to jail, did all kinds of crazy things. And I thought to myself, I am a failure. I'm not succeeding. Because I was measuring greatness differently. I wasn't measuring greatness by how well I loved those kids, by how I just worked quietly and worked hard and was faithfulness. See, that's what God equates as greatness. Faithfulness is greatness. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, faithfulness is greatness. Maybe I got to change the title here. Loving Quietly is making y'all super quiet today. I don't know. It's, it's the rain. It's the title. I don't know. Faithfulness is greatness. And so Paul, Paul said, in the Bible, he said, I've learned how to be content in every situation. The wisest man in the world, Solomon, wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? That, man, that just enjoying your work, enjoying your life, and working quietly, and, and, and doing well, and not trying to climb this, this ladder again. I'm not saying ambition is, is bad, right? So don't misunderstand me. Don't say, just be a C student, right? Don't, don't, don't hear me say, if you tell your kids, you don't get honor roll. Just make sure they're not putting their identity in that thing. Do you see the difference? Get a promotion for the glory of God. Do it, but just be okay. Know that you are loved as a human being by the Creator, regardless of whether or not you got the promotion or you got the the raise. So, in Ecclesiastes, I love what the wisest man, the richest man, had had experienced, Solomon experienced all kinds of things. Ecclesiastes says this, chapter 3, verses 11 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better. I know there is nothing better than for people to be happy, right? Just enjoy what you've got and do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction all their toil. This is a gift from God. Man, just enjoy what you got. Paul said, I've learned how to be content in every and every situation, whether I was on the highest point or whether I was in the lowest point. I just learned that, that Christ was enough, and I was just able to be grateful for my family, for the blessings that God has given me. And so he says, learn how to do that. That is what our ambition should be, to be a person who loves well and and. And man, just works hard and works quietly. And then look at the rest of the back in Thessalonians there. So he says that you aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands like we instructed you. Work with your hands like we instructed you and, and, and work quietly. I remember one time I went to basketball camp at the University of North Carolina. Good old UNC Chapel Hill it was also the year that uh, the Bulls had won yet another championship. And then Michael Jordan, after they won the championship, stopped by the school. And everybody went bananas, right? And he came and spoke to us. and It was awesome. But I got a nickname at that camp. It wasn't a good nickname. How y'all got some bad nicknames before, right? Anybody else got some of those? But they had a whole bunch of other names. Some of them I can't really repeat. Um, but one of them was Motormouth, right? Because I love to talk on the basketball court. and uh, And I love to talk trash. Yeah, I did that, but I also love to just keep talking, and um, and and uh, I, you know, like when somebody else got the ball, you just say crazy, They're trying to pass. You're like, blah 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 blah, just trying to distract people. You know, you just do all kinds of things like that to annoy people. And and man, they they got on my case, and um, that's not a good example of being quietly is what I'm trying to tell you, right? See, I'm a person. I like exciting things. I like new things. I like big ideas. I like the next best thing. When's the next uh, update coming out for your phone? What's what's it gonna do? But living quietly also means loving quietly and and not needing to be uh, noticed all the time. I love how Mother Teresa was just a great example of someone who loved quietly. She served people faithfully for many years, not, not getting accolades and all that sort of stuff. We know her now, but she wasn't well known during her time. But she said this. She said this. She said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Did you stay with me? Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And as I quoted to you earlier in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23 in the Bible, Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you, the greatest among you will be what? Will be your servant. The greatest among you will be a servant. He used to have a preacher, old rough and snow down there in, um, in North Carolina. He used to say all the time, big doors, big doors, swing on small hinges. It took me a while to figure out what that means, but you know, hinges are those things on the side of the door, and uh, man, those things, big old doors can can move because of those little hinges there. It's the little things that we do faithfully, the little things we do, loving your neighbor, loving your spouse, loving your children, okay, working hard, taking out the trash, paying your bills. This is what he's talking about here, living an ordinary life in an extraordinary way, for the glory of God. He's telling us these things here. And many of us, again, put certain people in categories. But I had a conversation with a young man this week, and I was talking about his spiritual journey. He was talking about, hey man, are you getting connected with God? Are you growing? Are you getting to church? And he was like, yeah, you know what? You know who helped me the most? You know who helped me the most in my spiritual walk? I was hoping he'd say the pastor. Right? That's what I was wanting. A little pat on the back. Yeah, I know, man. I'm doing a good job. And uh, you know, maybe maybe he would say the, 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 the other elders at the church, or maybe he would say the deacons or my community group leader. You know what he said? He said, man, the janitor. I said, what? I mean, I was like, tell me more. <clears throat> the janitor, Mr. Jorge. He said, Mr. Jorge talks to me every day. And he said, he has helped me get my spiritual life back on track. And, you know, a lot of people don't give credit to the janitor right? A lot of people think the janitor is somebody less. Oh, he's, he's not a deacon or a pastor or an elder. He's not a community group leader. He doesn't, he doesn't sing on the worship team. He doesn't do all this sort of stuff. He's just in the background working hard, working quietly, pushing his broom, doing what God has called him to do. And when he gets a moment to talk to a young person, he talks to him. And he stops pushing his broom and he encourages them and he challenges them. And for this young man to say, man, Jorge, Mr. Jorge is the reason why my spiritual life is getting back on track. I was like. How awesome is that? Could you be somebody's, Jorge? Could you just pay your bills, attend church, love your neighbors, take out your trash, mow your yard, love the people in the line at Walmart, just honor God without any fanfare, right? And can I just thank God for the people of Plaza who just served quietly? We said this often. This church is not built upon the talents of a few. This church is built upon the sacrifice of the many. And, man, praise God for the people, right? And, again, you know you know the people on stage. and You see the people out there greeting you, and I thank you for their great and faithful service. But there are so many quiet saints, ninja saints, just in the background. Because real ninjas move in silence. They don't need to brag about it. And they're just doing what God has called them to do. Mr. Shelton Crane, just a few people. See, I don't know. Whole lot about show. You don't know Miss Packett. you don't know Earl Beale. Some of you may or may not know Charles and Marilyn Vick. Mary Cardwell, Miss Ampi Cruz, right? I could go on and just think about, man, the saints that make stuff happen that you don't even know their names. But God knows their name. And they're just serving faithfully. They're serving behind the scenes. And God is using them. And we could go on and on about a list of people who are excelling at working hard and working quietly and just doing what God has called them to do. This is our final week. There are some green sheets to nominate deacons. We're, we're doing some deacon nominations. And can I talk about deacons for a second? Because a deacon is not always the loudest person. In fact, the deacon probably shouldn't always be the loudest person because a deacon means someone who is serving. Their, their gift, their strength, what they add to the churches, when they get stuff done, right? They may pick up all the trash and just working quietly behind the scenes where you don't even know them. And maybe sometimes that's why it's hard to identify a deacon. But if you think about your life. You think about what happens. You you know those people. You're like, wow, they've been faithful. They're here all the time. And they, they're there. I mean, it's a it's a glorious thing, according to the Bible here, right? They're saying, Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. That's the third part of that verse. And this is where he's guarding against laziness. One part is guarding against you know uh, overworking, but the other part is guarding against laziness. He says, learn how to work with your hands, as we instructed you. And then it goes on into verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So he's also hitting laziness here, right? And scholars have different opinions about what did Paul mean here? What was going on in Thessalonica that that Paul would hit this? In fact, um, uh, so Paul sends this letter to them, and then he gets another report because Timothy had gone there, and they're going back and forth getting reports. So Paul writes another letter called 2 Thessalonians. And he talks to them. There's a famous verse in 2 Thessalonians. It's very popular in American culture. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes this, so he you know that it was an issue that they were actually struggling with. 2 Thessalonians 3:10 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear verse eleven of 2 of, of Thessalonians 3. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy what? Busy bodies. Whole bunch of movement, but not anything happened. He says you were a busybody. He says there's some of you there that are busybodies, and, and people are trying to figure out what exactly was going on in Thessalonica, that, that there were some lazy people there that weren't eating, uh, or, or, or there were begging money off of others or or, being, or draining their family members and, and being a burden on others. So what's going on there? And so a couple of ideas that, that biblical scholars have put forth. One is that uh, because this was part of Greece and Greek culture, the Greeks were sort of sophisticated, and they did not at this time like manual labor. That's why they said, work with your hands and be a provision. But, but in their culture at this time, there was this thing going on where, man, they just wanted to sit around and philosophize all day. They wanted to sit around and talk politics all day, and they were too prideful and too arrogant, and maybe some of the new converts there in Thessalonica were influenced by their culture, right, and and they were, man, they were just sitting around doing nothing, talking about stuff. The Greeks had this thing. It's actually, it's amazing how, again, eternal God's word is because the, the word patron, patron means someone who supports another, comes from Greek, from Greek patrons, and, and what some of the Greeks would do is, is that they didn't want to work with their hands, and so they would read some, you know, philosophers and they would go around to the rich people and they'd be like, hey, can I read to you? And the rich people, you know, who had all this extra money and in no time wanted to be entertained, wanted to have their ears tickled. They would read to them and then they would say, would you be my patron? Would you pay me? I'll come over every Monday and read some uh, philosophy to you. And so they were dependent upon these people and they would go around and they don't want to work. And now today, you all know, we got something called Patreon going on, right? You watch a YouTube videos so and they're like, hey, support me on Patreon. And uh, you know it's, it's kind of funny, it's, it's come full circle. We have a lot of people, hey, can I help the young people and parents of young people guard against everybody trying to be a YouTube and podcast star and thinking you're going to make a living on YouTube? Can I just tell you that very rarely works out? Well, but there's some sex. I know, I know this kid, he's 15, man. He's got $10 million. Okay, that's one kid. You know how many kids got a YouTube channel? Right? And it's, and it's amazing. So again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't put your hopes on it. Make sure that you're working hard. Make sure you get your schoolwork done get yourself an education, and have yourself a backup plan. Amen? Because uh, there's some reality there. And so, man, maybe they just weren't willing to work with their hands. And what happened is they were becoming a burden upon the church because their their patrons were, were running out of money and, and because maybe they were running out of books to read their patrons or something like that, and, and, uh, and that, that thing was going down. And Paul was saying, hey, I know you guys have been going around reading and philosophizing and talking about politics, but you got to put some work in here because you're being a burden on the whole community. How many know it's unloving to be lazy? It's unloving to your family to be lazy and to not provide for yourself. And there are people who are living with their family, not paying any rent, not, not helping out. And, man, they're becoming a burden on others. And the Bible says for a Christian, this should not be so. Now, listen, you might go through a hard time. Nobody's talking about when you get cancer, when you fall and hurt your back at work, and you can't get up and go to work. That's different. But when you're able-bodied and able to do something, the Bible is saying, "Look, you you got to put in some work here. Otherwise, you're creating an unnecessary burden on other people, and that is not loving them well." Because notice what he says. He says that you would provide for yourself, right, and and be dependent on no one. That's what he said at verse twelve. And so, you don't have to do all this stuff. You have to guard against laziness. And so, work actually is something that honors God. Work is pleasing to God. I like to say it this way: work is often worship. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of who? God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, when you do your schoolwork, young people, when, when, when adults, you're clocking in at a job, your work is your worship. Don't think you can come here on a Sunday and be like, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then you could just be lazy as a hound dog during the week because your worship, you're worshiping at work. And if you're slacking and robbing your employer, that's the problem. It's 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 not presenting a good testimony. Colossians three twenty three. I love this verse. Colossians three twenty three says, whatever you do, work at it heartily as for the Lord and not for who? Not for men. So teenagers, children, when you're doing schoolwork, work heartily as for the Lord. Not for your teacher. Not for your parents. You should be working hard at your school work. So work heartily at it. So work is worship, but also I like to say, work is a witness. How many of you know that? That your hard work can be a witness to other people. I remember when I had a job at a factory, working at old Kentucky Derby Hosiery. In old Hickory, North Carolina. Kentucky Derby Hosiery. And uh, you learn weird things when you work at factories. And uh, You learn all the sights and the smells, probably all the poisonous smells that you're just breathing in day in and day out. It's lovely. And, um, you know, had big old steam machines and and ink machines and all kinds of crazy things there. And uh, you learn all the the barcode numbers for all the socks. You know, I used to go through the Kmart and Walmart and be like, yep, that's 005127. You know, it's just like, my wife's looking at me like, that's just weird. Don't do that again. And um, and anybody just learn all those things. So I was the line boy. I was the line boy at Kentucky. Derby, I, mean, I just pick up socks off the line after being quality checked and I put them on a pallet. Pick up socks, put them on a pallet. Pick up socks and put them on a pallet. Now listen to me now. I had a college degree, folks. I had a college de- degree and I'm picking up boxes of socks. Why? Because I needed a job. I had to provide for my wife and I and, uh, and was the only job. I had to go through a temp agency just to get that job. And I uh, went to a couple other hosiery factories and they booted me out because they didn't need me. You know, just, Hey, come in with this. I was like, alright, well I need a job. So I, I did that. And, um, and the workers there found out I had a college degree. They were like, why are you here? Because I need money? And I ain't ashamed to lift boxes. I put things up and pick, put them down. That's just, I mean, I could do that. And, um, and so they began to ask me these questions. Because, in fact, in the whole factory, I had the lowest job on the totem pole. And, um, you know, the ladies, they had the quality check. They had the, even the people that... that, that pressed the socks and did all that sort of stuff. They had a higher pay grade than me. They had higher status than me. And even the guys out there in the warehouse, they get to drive the, the fancy little trucks and and the forklifts and do that stuff. I wasn't I wasn't permitted to do all that. And, um, and, and so, man, but I just worked hard at what I did. And I just stayed faithful at that. And they began to ask me, like, why are you doing this? And it was an opportunity for me to use my work as a witness. Because whatever, I said, hey, look, I'm not here to work for, for the boss. Because a lot of them, they would get mad at the boss. They're like, he's making us do this. I'm like, look, I'm just minding my business and I'm putting this up. And I wouldn't get into their arguments, wouldn't get into their complaints. I just used my work as a witness. And I, I learned during that season how to be quiet. And that may shock some of you. And, uh, and how to just love what God was doing through that season and just work quietly and work hard. And man, when I left that place, those people were just had all kinds of questions. But it became a witness for me to tell them about Christ, became a witness for me to tell them that I don't work for man. I work for the Lord every day. And so it was It was, it was a time where I had to struggle through that because there were some times where my back was hurt and my feet were hurting. I was like, man, I, okay, one time the boss came in. He didn't know how to use his computer. And he had to come get me lowest man on the totem pole to come fix his computer, right? And I could have done that thing with my eyes closed. I thought said, have make it what you make it, man. I got a temp agency and I'm here. But God was working on my pride. God was working and forming me. And, um, and I just did it quietly, and I showed him how to use the computer and got it all set up, right? And, um, and God was just humbling me through that experience. But my work became my witness. And so as we close today, how about you? Can I ask you these two questions as I asked earlier? How, how are you doing with love? Are you growing in love? Imagine how your home would change if, if you every year, some of you just had a birthday. If every year on your birthday you said, have I grown in love more this year? And then secondly is, how's your work doing? You know, Are, are you working hard? Are you working quietly? Are, are you just being faithful at what God calls you? Are you working to be a ninja? Just I, I don't have to get praise. I don't have to get accolades. I don't have to be famous. I just want Jesus to be made famous. And if my hard work can make Jesus famous, that's what I want to do. How could your, your school change if you just continue to do that? You see, because it's not always the, the people. It takes all of us, man. I just love this beautiful church room. I'm so glad you guys are here today. I just love how, how I hear about the everyday ways that, that man, people of Plaza are, are doing the work of God, working hard, minding their own business, doing, paying their bills, just doing honorable things because that's how God creates a movement. That's how God creates change It's through the simple acts because there are some big doors that swing on the small hinges of, of the members of plaza. Amen? And so how are you doing with that? May I just ask you to consider that? And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, can can we just actually, and, and really for all of us, can we just point you to Jesus, right? Because how can, how can we continue to grow in love? How can we continue to grow grow in hard work and working quietly and not getting accolades? Who did that perfectly? Man, only Jesus did. I'm thinking about Isaiah 53, right? Isaiah 53, and we'll put it on the, on the screen for you, but if you're not familiar, there was a prophecy written before Jesus over 500 years. Isaiah 53 says, all we ha- like, like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. All of us have gone astray, right? Everyone. How many people? Right? Everyone turned his own way. We've walked away from God. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is it talking about? It's a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You never saw Jesus going around like, hey, I'm dying for y'all sins, people. You should be thanking me right now. You should be thanking me. He didn't say that. No, he was just quiet. He just healed people. He taught people. He sat down. He went fishing. He did all the normal everyday things. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers, is silent so that he opened not his mouth. And by oppression and judgment, he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of living, stricken for the transgression of who? Of my people, stricken for others, stricken and beaten for us. So, can we just point our eyes? We're not going to grow in love. We're not going to grow in hard work and humbleness and quietness unless it's the Lord Jesus growing in us, right? And can we just point you to Jesus today if you don't have a relationship with Him? we love for you to know Him because the Bible says all, all of us, like sheep, have wandered away and God has pursued us and loved us. By His death on the cross, you can be restored to God and experience love. The love that a job would never fill you up, the, the love that succeeding on your sports team would never fill you up, the, the love that doing well. And finding a spouse of your dreams would never fill you up. The love of Christ would be the only thing that would fill you up. So we're going to have a time of response. I'm going to pray. This will be a time for us to respond to God however he's calling you to respond. And so let's pray together with eyes closed and heads bound. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, we'd love to help you with that. You can fill out your connection card. Put your name on that there and turn that in. We'd love to help you get started with that, tell you more about Christ. There's a prayer need on there, you can do that. And also, during this next song that we're about to sing, we'd invite you to come forward. Myself, some of our elders and deacons, other members of our church will we'll be here to help you and pray with you if there's a prayer need. Maybe there's something else going on in your life. If there's something hard you're dealing with, or maybe you just want to share a praise. That'd be awesome as well. You respond to God however He's called you to respond to during this song. And Father, we adore you today. We thank you for Jesus, the one who we look to, the one who worked the hardest and never. Never got an accolade. The one who, like a sheep, was led to the slaughter. Paying for our sins. That's the greatest, the greatest act human history had ever known. And yet he didn't ask for applause. In fact, the Bible says he was beat beyond recognition. He wasn't even well known. Thank you for Jesus, our example. For the way Christ grew in love. For on the cross, how he said, Father, forgive them to the the people that had crucified Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God, thank you for our example today. And as we take this rainy day, Lord, may we continue to lift you up. May we continue to glorify your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say it.